Hello and welcome to Mohawk's Meet the Team series, a podcast dedicated to the team behind creating the strategy title, Old World. We'll get to know more about the team and their work on the project. This week, we speak to Adam, an environmental artist for Mohawk Games, and we learn about his time growing up in Canada and so much more, so stay tuned. And joining me today is Adam. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. So as we are doing as part of the series, we're trying to get to know the people of Mohawk and you're up next, Adam. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to kind of get to know where you started. Like how did, where did Adam start and where did he grow up? Well, I started in Canada. I've moved all over Canada. Actually, I've been everywhere except for the Maritimes and of course the uh, the deep frozen north. Been everywhere between Quebec and Victoria Island. Did you grow up in Quebec then? No, I grew up in in Victoria initially, and my uh, my family seems to be somewhat nomadic, at least on my mother's side. And we we moved back and forth initially between a, a variety of different provinces, and then she got remarried to someone in the service, a naval man, and we started getting posted to various different locations. And so I got to Quebec when I was just starting to enter like my, my well, up just about into my teen years, all the way through my teen years. So that's uh, like junior high or whatever. I'm going to sound really ignorant here. Does all of Canada yeah. speak French as a second language or is it just the, the, <laughs> the Quebecois? So the, the general idea on a provincial level and from the, the federal level is that there's, there's supposed to be French. Right. So we're supposed to have uh, all of our packaging and stuff like that has uh, French written on it so that it accommodates uh, those individuals. But in practice, uh, at the provincial level, I think different provinces, depending on how far they are from Quebec, uh, decide how much effort they're going to put into, you know, applying French education. And uh, if you're interested in something like a government job, or expanding your skill set, it's really important to learn French. My wife is a French teacher from France, so she uh, she had this expectation, you know, because from like the European perspective, is that you know we we speak French here, and that there should be a lot more kind of that that idea, but. Right now, we're, we're in British Columbia, which is the entire opposite end. And even though we have a, something that's called the French Quarter, and a lot of the names of the areas are in French, there's not a ton of, uh, you know, just like uh, deep focus on, on French. Uh, there's a lot of struggle with regards to trying to make sure that the schools are available for those people that are interested. And there's there's plenty of people that come from France and other French countries to to come here and and get an education and they want to bring that heritage to their children just like we want it for for our child so there is a bit of a battle when you get far away but the closer you get to go back the easier it is to get you know the french education french content all that kind of stuff so i i have to imagine that when your wife came over from france the like i, I mean you know as anyone would come from anywhere that speaks this a, a a language fluently and then they come to another country that speaks it maybe in a colloquial way is it is there a huge difference between like french french and canadian french when a, a canadian movie goes to france there's there's a few different things that are used like words that are used in french in canadian because here's the deal if you go to france and you see a stop sign, you'd expect it to be written in French, but instead it's written in English. And that, that for me, is kind of bizarre, right? right. Uh, whereas you get it here, and in Quebec, and pretty much exclusively in Quebec, it's written in French and in English, whereas the rest of our stop signs are written in English. 
And this was sort of a struggle for French people here um, to hold on to their heritage, right? They, they feel more and more of this, this being forced on their throat. So they hold on to a lot of older words. They also come up with new words, French words for things that don't exist. Whereas in, in France, they just kind of adopt the word. So because of that difference, some of these things might not translate as easily to a French-speaking person in Europe. And so they have subtitles for the movies that come across. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I So as yeah. like new terminology comes together, like, you know, new terms, maybe internet or something like that, the French Canadians are making actual French words for that as opposed to maybe yeah. the, the French just saying le internet. Yeah. So the, the, they'll, they'll adopt uh, a lot of, um, you know, stuff. The same as English adopts a lot of different words from other languages. Uh, they're, they're, they don't feel the, the pressure that uh, the, the Canadian French speakers have that, you know, it's, it's really about losing a hold of your culture. So that's very, it's cool. very important to them. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I would never have known that. I'd, I've always really personally respected and admired Canada because I feel like a, it's held on to its original heritage of having some like a, a strong f- French influence, but also I just feel like you guys are like our brothers up, you know, like up north that don't really, you know, they're they're just friendly and they don't they're like you guys have a, a very strong. I guess it's a stereotype, but it's it's a good one, a stereotype of being very friendly, and I you know I admire <laughs> that <laughs> as opposed to us Americans, right? I, I've well, there's all those the possibly urban legends that you hear about, you know, yeah, Americans going into uh, European places with Canadian patches on their bags because they hope that they'll be treated better and stuff like that. And I haven't heard of anyone in particular, any of my my U.S. friends, saying that they've ever done that. But yeah, the uh, the funny thing is that the Europeans, I don't think they really make that distinction. Uh, My wife and her family kept on referring to me as American because North America, right? It was like, you're part of the Americas, you're American, that's that's it. And uh, don't make a direct distinction between U.S. versus Canadian. Yeah, that's that's really strange. Very cool, though. Awesome stuff. So you grew up there, and I imagine, so how... How did you develop a desire or a love for video games? Was it always there? I mean, from some of the the conversations I've had with some of your fellow coworkers, I guess video games were actually just as big there as they were here in like the, you know, around the same times that they were big here. Yeah, so I started at a very early point. My first game console in my house was Pong. Awesome. Yeah. And it looked like a power bar with two little dials on it. And it was just this weird metal thing that you could detach and had wires attached to it. And you could twist the little dial with your friend and play Pong back and forth. And it had a a variety of different modes where you had two paddles or one paddle. And that was like different games. And I moved my way up to, I think my next console was the ColecoVision. And then we started getting uh, computers in the house because I saw them starting to appear in school when I was a kid. And uh, the first computer that we had in our house was actually called the Atom Computer. And I think they picked it just because it was my name. (laughs) But it was this horrid thing that ran on a tape drive, and it kept on crashing and uh, took forever to load everything off the audio tape. So they took it back immediately and said, this is is trash. Give me something else. And they got a, a Commodore 64. And I was so excited to get my hands on this thing. And it came with a programming book, but I was looking for an art program in it and I wanted to do, you know, some art. So the only way to do art was to learn how to program. And so I sat down and I I poured through this book on basic 
and all these peaks and pokes and everything. And I basically wrote code to create really stupid looking images, but images all the same, or a little, you know, uh, cat face bouncing around the screen and stuff like that. And eventually I moved up to uh, the Amiga and ended up angering my stepdad because I, I hacked one of his games to do something completely in reverse um, <laughs> <laughs> just for fun. It was a practical joke. It was, you know, wasn't a big deal. And he said, that's it. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're having to get a summer job and buy your own. So of course I bought my own Amiga and uh, along with it came, I got deluxe paint, which was my first like three, um, computer paint program. And my first thing was, I'm going to make video games. And so I started doing all that stuff through um, uh, early high school. And I made tons and tons of, of artwork for supposed games that would never be made. But I never really thought that I would ever find myself a career in anything related to animation or uh, games in general i just wanted to work on you know these ideas that i had in my head and in the meantime as i grew up you know i started taking on various different jobs that i never really felt like i was in the right place but continued you know evolving through amiga and then eventually pc and learning different uh, like art tools including some 3d stuff and it was just like a side passion but um in, in my ignorance, I thought, you know, there was like some weird way in which you got to be a part of that. Like you had to know somebody who was doing it or you had to wait for somebody to die off to get a space. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. It took until I was finally in yet another sort of what turned out to be sort of a dead end direction where I was learning to manufacture and repair airplanes. That was going to be my next potential career. And they showed us a bunch of videos of what happens when you forget to, you know, tighten a bolt or you make a mistake. And they were like real footage of crash sites. It wasn't any of this, this, this fake stuff. They really wanted the impact to hit you. And I had uh, a little bit of a, a nightmare from this thing. And I was wondering, you know, do I want to be responsible for that? Like, is that something I really want to have a part in? And I was questioning, you know, where I was going, but I was always uh, into art and I was always drawing. And even for like my birthdays, my, my mom started inventing new gifts to give me because she'd always ask me, what do you want? It would be a sketchbook, some you know pencil crayons, uh, HB, 2B pencils, uh, erasers and stuff like that. And she's like, don't you want something? Like, how about some music or, or how about like, you know, a game or something like that? Or like, is, is there nothing that you want? And uh, she ended up getting me, what was it? I think it was like a Backstreet Boys audio tape because her friend who had a daughter said that there was an awesome band. I was like, you kind of missed the point there, mom. Was, uh... <laughs> nice. There's a reason why she was into a boy band. So yeah, I, I had a whole bunch of supplies that I always bring with me and kind of, you know, sit and, and draw all the time. And what ended up happening is one of my instructors in this program noticed that I was drawing all my classmates on sheets of paper in between. And she noticed that there was an increase in me doing this more frequently and less of kind of like the stuff that was I was supposed to do, which was, I mean, honestly, it was kind of boring. It was like remembering part numbers and stuff like that and writing them down in uh, ledgers. And she said, you know, I noticed you kind of lost your enthusiasm a little bit. And I, I noticed that you draw a lot. Would you be interested in, you know, going to an animation studio? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, that's something that I can do? And she said, yeah, 
have connection because she worked through this uh, other uh, uh, part of the school that dealt with stagecraft and film. And she had a connection to uh, an animation studio. So instead of going to the airport, I ended up going to a place called Bardell and working on a film called Joseph for DreamWorks. And that was the first time that I actually felt like I belonged somewhere and that I had to be in um, animation. But I was all self-trained. Right, uh, everything that I learned, uh, I nearly broke my mom's VCR by uh, hitting the uh, pause and then rewind button repeatedly in order to frame advance because there was no frame advance on a VCR. Right. So you'd hear hear, hear me studying animation on my own by hearing this, <laughs> and my mom screaming, "You're gonna break the bloody thing!" So um, they, I was missing certain things that I needed, and they said you should go back to school. So I went back to school. Uh, I went to this place called Capilano College at the time. It's not Capilano University. And they got me uh, hooked not just on the 2D stuff, but uh, really digging into the 3D. And that opened up my, my potential door to, uh, to games, where I could now see myself like uh, all these, these things. And actually to apply for the place, I took all that old artwork that I'd done on the computer, the pixel artwork, miserable pixel by miserable pixel, and showed it off. And they're like, wow, this is cool. Yeah, like, oh, we think you're right for this. And that gave me that that extra opportunity to to get into games. So that's kind of the origin. Your origin story is pretty cool, actually. So where did you start then? What was the company? Initially, when I graduated from uh, the, the program, I had a demo reel. I was going to go and apply to a bunch of different places. Uh, but there was a, a glitch in the matrix, as it were. <laughs> and my character would implode when I tried to render it off. Nice. And I couldn't solve the the issue. All of her like her wrists and and ankles kind of like flew into the center of her body, and she just sort of jiggled, mangled on the screen. It was really uh, upsetting. So I I had to put together a fix for that. And by, once I finally fixed it, most of my other classmates had already gone off and started applying for jobs. And so I was back at home getting all my stuff onto a hard drive, and then the hard drive that I had completely blew up. And I lost everything, mm-hmm. my entire reel. So I was pretty devastated. And I thought, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to build a, an entirely new reel and you know, apply somewhere. What am I going to do? So I went back to uh, the, the school where I did my training and asked if I could help out the students there for the, the following term, if I could have access to the equipment because I couldn't afford to get myself you know, a brand new like huge hard drive for all this stuff, let alone the software was way too expensive. So they agreed, and I did a bunch of that, and I quickly uh, jumped off of that and started applying to different studios before everybody else graduated to get everything kind of in play. And I actually ended up having my first position was them calling me back and asking if I wanted to do that as like a regular paid position where uh, they were thinking of having lab supervising. So I did that, and I would do small projects on the side. So I'd work for um, small groups, sometimes like you should never work for free, but I did a little bit of you know stuff for free for little groups just to get myself a regular practice. Uh, one of the things that can be difficult when um, you're trying to self-improve is having a project because it's very difficult to keep yourself motivated. It's like having a workout buddy, right? You know, you have that person that is willing to go through the 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 struggle with you, and so you feel more encouraged to like to do something. And when I was working with groups of people, I, I was able to you know push through and, and work on new content. So I used that to build up even more new content from a reel and apply to different places. And I just kept on um, doing that on, off the side. 
on top of that, I would do sort of uh, consulting work on the back end. Sometimes for for students, just on you know the uh, uh, over like uh, email channels, helping with uh, issues that they ran into, and eventually worked for a small studio. There's a, a two brother team that created a game called Realm of Hapumia, which no longer exists. The company for which they uh, they worked for went bankrupt, and I think you can probably still find images of it online, but. It's basically like a big chunk of my my past erased. Oh, man. So I started working on a lot of uh, my own projects. I did little things here and there, again, for you know studios, but nothing that would ever get me a credit because they would all be short-term projects. I ended up putting together my final dream, which was to make a game from beginning to end, right, from scratch, called uh, Pharaoh's Lock, which was on the Android uh, market. And uh, it ended up doing fairly well. And we got uh, like 10,000 downloads, four to five stars. And that was like my uh, first like real credit because I, I made it happen. I ended up working for Autodesk as a, uh, a software translator. So basically converting companies from one type of software to another, which in particular was like soft homage to Maya. Um, and I did a bunch of that stuff going back and forth to some studios and helping out in that way. So a lot of my stuff has been training alongside of me doing like the little bits of art here and there, like little piecemeal pieces. So Mohawk is probably my longest contract for uh, art specifically. You know, Adam, it's weird just that, that I've noticed a trend among every, almost everybody I've interviewed here that it feels like all roads lead through Autodesk. You're not the you're like the fifth or sixth person that said <laughs> that they've taken you know some time with Autodesk. So, is it is it just that they're like actively recruiting people, or are they? Is it just you know a good platform to kind of learn from? I mean, help me understand why everybody seems to go there. Well, Autodesk is um, a, a great company. They they put together you know um, software that is like the, the the key software that most people are using. So they bought up. Uh, Maya and they bought up Softimage, and that main meant that they had the three main competitors for a very long time uh, in terms of 3D Studio Max, Maya, and Softimage. And then Softimage, when they killed that off, it's still 3D and and Maya. Uh, we still have things like Houdini, Lightwave, and whatnot, but they uh, they have a smaller share kind of in the market. So if you think about 3D, a lot of the the main 3D content seems to be coming through Autodesk in general. And that also means a lot of the studios that you're going to work for are going to be do- doing Autodesk-related software. All right. So no. if you... Uh, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. So um, for me, being kind of very proficient, because that's what we were training at Capilano University, was uh, Sotomaj and Maya and 3D Studio Max all together, it was a natural connection between me and Autodesk. Uh, we uh, we were on the beta. We make sure to give them feedback and let them know because we're busy training everybody. So yeah, um, but now everything's Blender. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. I feel like, I, and that's some some of the other people have said they've worked for Blender too. So yeah, it's it's wild how like you know every, everybody seemed to have at least at one point there was there was a there's a trend here at Mohawk that either people were like Zynga, Fraxis, or Autodesk, or all three. And I was just like, wow, another one who's actually in yeah. Canada somehow managed to work for Autodesk. So I had to know. That's great stuff. So now you're with Mohawk Games, and you've been working on Old World as a an environmental artist, right? Yeah. 
So I'm I'm a contractor for for Mohawk, and I'm working on environment stuff. Uh, I was initially contacted by Merck to work on uh, the terrain content, so things like mountains, uh, ocean coastlines, hills, that kind of stuff, and then uh, evolved into now working on uh, the cities and the capitals and stuff like that. So uh, a lot of the new updates for for those things are are coming from me. That's amazing. You're first of all, you do amazing work. It looks fantastic. And I love there's very few games, especially in the strategy world where you can zoom in and see details like that. You just you wouldn't expect in a game like that. Like, but I love how you can zoom in on a lot of that stuff, especially the mountains. The mountains look amazing. But yeah, that's great stuff. You've done great work. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, uh, an interesting challenge. Uh, a lot of stuff had already been sort of established. I wasn't sure what I could touch and what I shouldn't touch. And it's always that that first thing when you first get into a new studio and you're working on something and you're like, should I change this? Should I update this? Am I allowed to touch it? And I just waited for, you know, whatever they, they told me that they wanted me to work on and and do it. And I, I began to uh, get sort of like a, a more clear understanding that um, there was a number of things that they had wanted to change and they were open to exploring more technical solutions in terms of, you know, resolving the ways in which the art was going to work. And that was a really cool part of the the process of, you know, trying to work out a system for getting coastlines to look interesting and uh, have the opportunity to sort of uh, update them at a later point, which may still happen. The technical challenges, I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to to teaching in the first place, which I, I still do. I'm still teaching at university while I'm, I'm doing this job. And the problem solving along with the art is is one of the things that's that's really kind of cool because you're getting more from it than just the visual sort of response. You're having a system that has some adaptability and making the process more dynamic, which is one of the things I like about like one of the software that I use is, is Gaia, which is a world building software for uh, creating uh, hills and mountains and whatnot. And it's all procedural driven. So if you can incorporate this idea of, you know, if I do it in this way, I can get more usability out of it. Like we can use it in a lot of different areas. And we got that with the mountains, where the mountains all kind of combine together. But there's a layered system that, uh, depending on what kind of terrain it is, it automatically looks like that terrain. And it's just this complex system of, you know, uh, layering one thing on top of the other and just determining like what's most important. So I think that stuff has been uh, a highlight for me, is trying to figure out the uh, the creative methods and making sure that the the train does what it needs to but in a really fast and efficient way and has a lot of versatility yeah and so i guess i um, again it's it's a, it's a question out of ignorance but how much do you concern yourself with like your memory footprint as you you create these images well coming back from you know trying to work on pixel uh art and and whatnot early games when we were training people to go off and like do quake mods and whatnot and my my own work on uh working on like cell phones your your thought process immediately goes to i know ways of doing x that is cheaper and cheaper is always better we're we're uh, i just saw a post saying that we were able to get it working fairly quick on some older machines, uh, the uh, uh, some some other person said something about a a Mac uh, version working. It's a matter of being as inclusive as possible. I mean, if you're going to make a game and you want to make sure that 
you know, everybody can enjoy it. Not everybody's going to have the money to, you know, update the computer right away. So it definitely has to be part of the uh, the thought process. And one of the big uh, pushes that we've been having lately is is making sure that things get faster and uh, more capable for the the lower end PCs so that everybody can enjoy. That's awesome. Yeah, and I've noticed a lot of that is like a lot of that work has come through here at the end as you guys are wrapping up. You're you're just you're just a few weeks away from releasing, which is great. I, I imagine that that's partially exciting and also kind of stressful well um yeah i mean you want to make sure that everything gets done and there's always those little things that you, you may have to put off until till later i think if you watch the the breakdowns of a lot of games they always have these things that you know were left on the the cutting room floor because they just didn't have the time to accomplish it while others decide you know after release we're, we're going to go in and we're going to you know submit an update i think one of the coolest moments that i had personally in a game update like a recent game update was from the uh the first assassin's creed and when i was playing that uh they discovered that everybody was spending all their time on the rooftops because it was easier than going through the streets and the rooftops were pretty bland so their update was to add versatility to the uh, types of places that you could hide and adding things like birds flying off from the rooftops to make that more interesting so it's basically an art update which I mean, before that, it was always bug fixes. And I thought, like, how cool is that, that, you know, um, a studio is looking at how people are playing it and looking for an opportunity to make something more beautiful as an update as opposed to, we're just going to fix a bug, you know? And has anything like that kind of arisen through your time with Old World? I mean, has there been a point where they're like, oh, maybe we should we should do something better here because there's actually more time spent in this part of the game? Yeah, we're we're always looking at... You know, how can we make the the experience a little bit more clear? There's constant conversations about, you know, changes to to UI or update to specific art pieces to make sure that, you know, when people are playing, uh, there's there's clarity and there's uh, a little bit of, of beauty. And there's lots of things that we would uh, like to do. Sometimes there's things where you're like, oh, in hindsight, that would have been that would been better, but that might be a little bit too big of a, a thing to take on right now. But it's not too big a thing to take on maybe later. So who knows? Maybe oh. you might see uh, cool stuff in the future. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> nice little teaser. Well, Adam, what do you do in your spare time? Like when you're not working hard, because it sounds like you're constantly working, but when you're not, <laughs> what are you doing to kind of, you know, relieve stress and maybe get away from it? Uh... Oh, I have that, that deep oh, side. That, of... <laughs> that's that deep <laughs> side. That makes me feel like there may not be much. <laughs> I, I have hobbies, you know, uh, outside of um, work, um, but most of them are related to work. <laughs> <That's>, uh, I, <laughs> I had a feeling uh, once you took that deep side. I was like, man, it's it's we're we're not going to get too far away from it, are we? <laughs> so there was a few really big things for me being like offered a position to work on on this. This particular project that really excited me. I was really into, you know, um, game development. I'm I'm currently working on my masters, which of course uh, in the back end means me working on more game art for my masters. I have a huge interest in history. I've got just looking off to the site. I've got a book on Persepolis. I've got things on uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, uh, ruins from like ancient Druidic civilizations and stuff like that. So I, I really love like the, the the history and the art relating to history. And then of course in my my whole development thing, discovering that the place I'm being offered a, a position at has you know Soren Johnson at the helm was was pretty cool, and just 
the idea that I could be working on something that is uh, history-based with a huge respect for history, by the way, has all these cool sort of art problems to solve. Uh, I'm doing art in the first place and um, working with someone who really knows how to design this kind of game. It was amazing. And it's, it's not like going to work. It's like going to play. So uh, working a lot of stuff, yes, there's the stress and yes, there's, you know, a lot of, you know, hard effort behind it, but most of it is really enjoyable. So I spend a lot of time looking at historical documentaries, doing, you know, sketches and stuff like that for my own projects, uh, hang out with my daughter to go and do stuff. We uh, uh, like to go out on walks right now because, you know, that's all we can really do with the pandemic or play in the garden a little bit. I'm not much of a green thumb, but I can make weeds grow pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I think if if you do, it's the, that old cliche, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your, your life. And that's kind of what it is for me. I'm I'm always obsessed with, you know, what's something cool that I could do? What's a new idea? I play with the Unreal Engine 5 lately, which has been super cool. That's, that's my hobby. No, that's cool. It's more... I mean, it really is pretty endearing to hear that, you know, you're doing what you love. So it's kind of just a, a huge part of your life. That's great to hear. And for me, then it sounds like your whole life has kind of been working remotely and in some ways. So like you've, you've kind of done the whole, I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it may seem like, it seems like to me that, you know, having this pandemic occur didn't really change how you work or your workflow. Oh, it did uh, heavily um, for the for the pandemic. Like working on my master's, that was all remote because it's in the UK. But working at the university, we were on site, and so when I have my my students, I could actually see if something that I said was confusing to them because I could see their faces. Uh, I could see if somebody was struggling by looking over their shoulder and seeing what they had on the computer and and go and help them. And when the pandemic hit, we had to change all that up to an online system. Now, we had already been a little bit prepared because we had some uh, concerns with Sometimes we might, might like to hire someone that's a professional that may not be available here in BC and uh, have them come in for like a guest speaker uh, situation or have them to teach a class because they're the best person that we could possibly have to, to teach that. And how do we deliver that when we can't bring them physically to that location? So there had been a bit of back-end work that had been done there, luckily. And so when we... we kind of hit the ground, we hit the ground running a little bit, but it's still a, a struggle trying to figure out how to make all that stuff work. But for Mohawk, um, I didn't actually start with Mohawk until after the pandemic had already started. Yeah, that that has been uh, all remote work, and I've worked remotely with uh, other people and other projects. Uh, so there's been a ton of like online stuff. But yeah, the pandemic definitely affected my ability to teach a class to a level where I felt fully comfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. Now that you say it, I... I... When you take into consideration your teaching portion, yeah. Well, what about your yeah. personal life? Does does has that affected it at all? Are you you don't seem like someone who'd be you know like going out and partying all the time? It sounds like you're. Really, no, <laughs> I got that from your 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 passion for your art, but so I imagine it didn't change you know your day day to day very often or very much. Yeah, I'm not I'm not like a super hermit, but I I, uh, I do have hermit tendencies. A lot of my friends I do communicate with online. Some of them are not even in the country. That uh, was one of the, the ways that I managed to uh, lure a, a French wife from 5,000 miles away using my broken French that I learned in, in Canada and, uh, yeah, kind of communicating online. So I do a lot of the, the socializing 
online as, as a general practice. But I do like to get out and, you know, go to a coffee shop and just kind of hang out and sit there just to have a, a change of environment or, you know, go to a restaurant and, and sit down and have a meal. Uh, I love to go on uh, nature walks. We've got lots of parks here, especially in BC. BC is one of the places that you have like a moderate enough uh, climate that you can, in the same day, uh, go for a swim uh, at a beach, then go for a hike and then go up and go skiing in the mountains. like. The climate is just uh, perfect for that. And um, going to museums, science centers, and other things to, to excite my daughter, you know, her, her brain, get her kind of exposed to a lot of different things. So, yeah, we like to get out, and none of that has been possible. So the, the best that we can manage is we go out for walks, and we have long talks, and we, uh, we scour the internet for cool things to look for and all that kind of stuff. That's very cool. That's a great way to have adjusted, you know, and just roll with the flow. So. Hey, well, time is kind of running out for us. So I'm just curious to know, mm-hmm. what's your goal now as you guys, you know, are looking at the finish line for Old World? What is, what are your main focuses and, you know, what are your biggest hurdles? Trying to make everything look as awesome as possible with the time that we have left and then hope that we have time to continue to polish other things uh, after the fact. I'm, I'm finishing up the, the last of the uh, cities this week. And there's a few other art elements that I'll be polishing uh, next week. And then we'll just see how that goes. The The goal is, of course, to make sure that not only does it, it look pretty, but it's as stable as possible and that everyone has the richest experience possible. So I think we've all got our heads down and just kind of, you know, working as a team, really supporting each other and trying to make sure that uh, we deliver the best that we can for people. That's awesome, Adam. I'm, I'm a personally a, a huge fan of the game and of the team. It's been great to get to know the team and... Each of you have been really just a pleasure. And it, with you, Adam, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. I am curious to know if there's anywhere we could find you online. Do you have any socials that you would like to share? I suppose I could share ArtStation, but I mean, I don't usually use that very often. I use Facebook, but it's only for people that I know. I don't want people, you know, that I don't know adding me <laughs> randomly. Yeah, every, so. everybody, everybody add Adam as your friend. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if you have an art station, we'll leave it in the description below. So go ahead and check that out. I'm sure that they, yeah. Yeah, your art is amazing. So I'm I'm really actually personally interested to see it. So Adam, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me and for the opportunity to get to know you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for doing this. It's been really cool myself getting to hear, you know, all the stories from everybody else because being one of those remote people, you know, you, you don't always get to talk to everybody about, you know, their lives. So it's been an an extra advantage for us, the team, to have you doing this. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Adam, and best of luck with your final push here towards the end. Thank you. Bill.